Paul's letter to Titus, chapter 1. We're going to pick back up in verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Titus was sent to Crete for two reasons. To make sure the church was in order and to appoint trustworthy elders to serve the congregation. So let's look at each one of those separately. Number one, to set everything into order. This is originally a phrase from Greek medicine. When a broken bone had slipped out of position or become dislocated, a doctor's job was to put it back into place. And we derive the following English words from the Greek phrase behind that, um, and it's epiduortho. And so that might sound like orthodontics to you, which is the medical practice of correcting out-of-position teeth, jaws, and bite patterns. Might sound like orthopedics to you, which is a medical practice often concerned with straightening the spine. And then it might sound like orthodox, which is um, teaching or methods that conform to an established standard. So clearly the church in Crete needed an alignment. The lifestyles of its members resembled crooked teeth. Their beliefs were like a curved spine, if you will. So Titus was sent to play the part of an orthodontist or an orthopedic surgeon who would make matters straight. Having been planted by Paul, I'm sure this church enjoyed a reasonably healthy beginning. But it seems that once Paul's traveling schedule sent him back on the road, the Cretans began to drift back to their old ways. Someone needed to visit this church and encourage them to pursue a more accurate way of living out the Christian faith. Paul was not available, but Titus, one of his apprentices, had been trained for this very purpose. The other thing Titus was going to do in Crete was appoint elders in every town. Every organization needs leadership for it to succeed. Even if an organization is left without leadership, leaders and influencers will naturally arise over time. Therefore, it's far better to train, equip, and appoint leaders than to allow people to assume the positions on their own by inserting themselves. This is especially true for the church. And if you've experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. But leadership is important in the church because no organization will ever exceed the level of its leaders. A CEO without any business acumen or know-how will wreck a company. 
How much more so is this the case within a church? No congregation will ever surpass their pastor and spiritual maturity. An immature pastor will equal an immature congregation. As the pulpit goes, so goes the pew. Therefore, God has standards that a man must meet in order to be a qualified pastor. And these rules weren't for just the island of Crete only. Paul sent these same guidelines to Timothy, who was a pastor in modern-day Turkey. So these qualifications for leaders apply to all churches, even yours today. Big church, small church, city church, rural church, any church. These are the rules. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers, God's steward, above reproach, not arrogant, quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy, but hospitable, self-controlled, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Pastors are shepherds, not CEOs. Just because someone has an entrepreneurial spirit, good looks, public speaking skills, or is a people person, that doesn't mean he is ready to be a pastor of Christ's church. We measure a, a person's aptitude for pastoral ministry by comparing them to God's standard found in Titus 1 and 2. Uh, well, in Titus and in 1st and 2nd Timothy. So here is the standard. A pastor or elder must be above reproach. Pastors should have a good reputation in the community and within the church. Public moral failures or scandals disqualify a person from this type of ministry. Now, in the case of Crete, it seems like the entire island had a bad reputation. In fact, there's a Greek word, kresia, that means a dishonest and money-hungry person. And it comes from the same word as Crete. I want to be clear that above reproach does not mean without sin. And St. Augustine said, if Paul were to say this, every person would be rejected. No one could be ordained. But above reproach does not mean without sin. Your pastor will be a sinner, but he should be a mature Christian. Your pastor should also be the husband of one wife. This literally means a one-woman man. A pastor loves and commits to his wife. There's no room for ministers to be flirtatious with other women or to take part in any sort of adulterous behavior with any of his congregants. Also, the job of an elder is reserved for husbands, for men. Yes, women speak and encourage others in the church. See 1 Corinthians 11. And yes, women can be given all sorts of other important roles. But God's model for his church is that the men step up and grow up as he gifts and equips them by the Spirit for pastoral ministry. And you can see 1 Timothy 2 on that one. A pastor must be training his children in the Lord. For a pastor, Christian living and service must begin in the home. New Testament commentator Warren Wearsby points out, If a servant of God cannot win his own children to Christ, what success can he expect with outsiders? 
If a father of rebellious teenagers uprooted his family to be a pastor in a new city, the uh, unconverted sinners in his household, you can imagine how upset they would be. They would resent their father, and this would cause even more trouble in the home than there had previously been. Now, there's an unfortunate stereotype that pastor's kids are the worst ones in the church when it should really be the other way around. Pastors must be a steward of God. A pastor must be responsible when taking care of someone else's things. After all, he will be taking care of God's people. The congregation has been placed under his care, and he must not take that lightly. The pastor must be a peacemaker, not a fight picker. I recently taught through the letter of Jude with my small group, and uh, Jude teaches us to fight for the faith in the third verse of his letter. Jude is an important letter for Christian discernment, but this verse is not a command to constantly seek out opportunities to bicker with others about everything. But that was exactly the character of the Cretans. These people were violent, and so it was important for their pastor to counteract aggressive behavior with gentleness. Like Proverbs 15:1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The pastor should also be addiction-free. If you can't control yourself, how could you ever control the direction of a church? Pastors should be the opposite of greedy. They are supposed to be paid, yes, uh, listen to 1 Corinthians 9, 14. This is the reason why we give to the church. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So pastors are paid, yes, but getting rich should never be the motivation to join the ministry. However, we see lots of ministers in the public eye who are greedy. Pastors should be good hosts. In those days, there was a lot of travel and hardly any good place to stay. Inns and hotels were often infested with prostitution, so when a Christian traveled, it was hard uh, to find a place to stay, and Christians in other towns, therefore, kept an open-door policy with fellow believers. And uh, elders need to lead by example in this area. Pastors should be able to teach others well. Um, doctors should be able to tell you about sickness and medicine and etc. Lawyers should be able to teach you about government and law. In the same way, a pastor should be able to teach you about God from the Word of God. Sometimes I hear of people seeking out sermons filled with cute little stories and jokes. These church jokers want to, oh, my bad, these church goers, although I guess they could be called church jokers, but these church goers want to say that, uh, oh, wow, that pastor was such a great speaker, I never laughed so hard in my life. But that's not healthy. In fact, the Greek phrase for sound doctrine means healthy teaching. If your pastor is strictly a good-looking, wannabe, stand-up comedian, you'll be spiritually sick. Hearing too much of this type of preaching, in air quotes, would be like eating junk food for every meal. 
Churches and Christians need teaching with substance. We need protein and solid food. Listen to Hebrews 5, 13 and 14. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So yeah, we have a childlike faith and that we believe Jesus, but we don't have a childish faith. Imagine you fall ill and you end up in the hospital or your family is hit with some other tragedy. Which type of pastor do you want to come visit you, comfort you, and pray with you? A jokester who has deprived you of the word of God for the sake of getting laughs? Or the caring shepherd who loved you enough to tell you the truth during so many Sundays and Wednesdays? When your church conducts a pastoral search and the committee is formed, the last things on their minds should be, what do the people want in a pastor? This thought process never ends well. Remember when the nation of Israel begged for Saul to be the king? I don't think you want a similar situation playing out in your church. Instead, let your search committee ask, what will God require from our next pastor. Because if you find a man who fits God's qualifications, all of the other details, uh, from his fashion sense to his accent to his favorite football team, they don't matter. Now you might say, this is all well and good, Noah. And if I'm ever on a pastoral search committee, I will try to keep the book of Titus in mind. But where is the application for me now? True, you may not ever be a pastor. You might not ever get to vote on who becomes a pastor. But the pastoral qualifications still provide an application to your life. Though you aren't a pastor, elder, deacon, or worship leader, you do have a title. You're a Christian. That's your title. Pastors are held to a higher standard for sure. James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. But each of us need to have good reputations, be dedicated to our families, have patience with people, show hospitality, uh, be disciplined, display self-control, and be readily equipped with Bible truth. And so this letter to Titus clearly shows us that God desires mature clergy and mature congregants. Thank you for listening to this section of Titus 1. In our next session, we will wrap up the first chapter of Paul's letter to Titus.